The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we've talked a lot here on the Authentic Living Show about being authentic and in so doing to let go of the old roles, those masks and costumes that we put on to cope with, even to survive our childhoods. But we haven't spent as much time talking about how we can avoid assigning our children the masks and costumes in the first place. So today we're going to talk about that. How do you mirror your child's authenticity? So we're going to be giving out some tools for that today for free. All you have to do is listen, and you want to stay tuned for the whole show. Uh, We're going to be talking about Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday in the last segment of this show as well. So let's talk. In order for us to understand um, what it is that happens with children and how we might begin to mirror their authenticity, we have to first understand something about what it is that makes them um, not be authentic. So there's a difference between identity and authenticity. Some people get identity mixed up with personality. Uh, they call an identity a personality. Um, your personality is actually, your truest personality is actually your authentic self. It is the, the behavior, the thoughts, the feelings, the creativity, the, the, the body form, the body emotions, the, all of that that goes into being who you are authentically. And that is a very unique individual that is not like anyone else on planet Earth. Just like we have a fingerprint that can, is not anyone else's fingerprint and an earprint that is no one else's earprint, we have an authentic self that cannot be duplicated by anyone else on planet Earth. So what we have to bring to the table is very, very special. And that's what we need to be bringing to the table. But unfortunately, very often we're sort of persuaded out of that authenticity as a young child so this thing about parenting our young our young children is extremely important when it comes to this whole idea of authenticity the truth is that we are not happy people when we're living in an identity we are um we're not miserable necessarily but we're not really joyful fulfilled people and so we really, the, the, you know, when parents say, and I hear this all the time and I've said it myself, all I want for my children is for them to be happy. Well, if we're formulating an identity for them and sort of assigning them to that with or without our own conscious understanding, we are teaching them to be unhappy. And that is not what we want to teach our children. I'm pretty sure that most parents out there don't want to teach their children how to be unhappy. So what we want to talk about is how it is, what is the difference in the structure 
and the formulation of an identity versus authenticity. Okay, so let's talk about identity for a minute. Bruce Lipton talks about identity in uh, his book, uh, uh, his latest book about the honeymoon effect. And uh, what he's saying is that we are in our earliest stages of existence in two different uh, brainwave states. The first is the delta brainwave, and that is between the ages of zero and two whereby we are just very receptive. We're just receiving from the world around us lots and lots of information. Data download is kind of like, you could think of it that way. And uh, when between two and seven, we are in a very highly imaginative state, which is called the theta brainwave state. So that, that, in that state, we're able to play very imaginative games, imagine all kinds of scenarios and all kinds of personalities and all kinds of identifications, and we're able also to connect dots that don't belong connected by our imagination. So, for example, if uh, when I'm five years old, my parents decide to get a divorce, uh, and I've just had a fight with mom or dad a few minutes before they told me about getting a divorce, I might think that that happened because I had a fight with mom and dad. And if I would just be good, then they won't get a divorce. Of course, that has nothing to do with it, but I've connected that dot in my head, uh, those dots in my head, and I, and, I, and I live that out. And so I try really hard to be very, very good, and so they won't get a divorce. And so what I'm really doing is bargaining with the universe or with my parents for what it is that I want and what I feel will make me safe. So it, that's just one example of many that many kind of those bargains that we make out of magical thinking, but it's a way of, um, of, of making connections that aren't valid and we can live whole lifetimes out of those invalid connections. Um, so for example, if I'm raised in a home where uh, neither of my parents are willing to admit to being wrong about anything ever, and they just have a really hard time dealing with being wrong. They feel a great deal of shame anytime somebody uh, um, insinuates that they might be wrong about something. Then if, if I sort of catch them in the act of being wrong, they're going to project that back onto me. And I might absorb that in that magical state, in that either if I'm a little child, a little between one and um, zero and two, or if I'm between two and seven, I might really just take that in and identify with it and go, oh, okay, I'm wrong. And then I have to live into wrongness. And in order for me to feel that I exist, which is what our identities are, are, are supposed to help us do, we, I have to be more and more and more wrong. So I'll do more and more to prove to myself that I exist. Um, and, and all the while I'm, I'm becoming more and more of a hellion and my parents and other people are not knowing what to do with me. Um, and uh, so yeah, ultimately, if I continue that, I could end up being the ultimate in what we call evil, which would be like a serial killer or a mass murderer or something like that. So, um, you know, that's an extreme example. But the point is that I can identify with the substrates of any conversation. Why can I do that? Because I'm not really very verbal. I'm not, um, you know, you don't have to sit down and say to me, look, I, I can't be wrong here. So you take this wrongness and that'll make me feel better and you just go be bad and then I can blame you for everything that goes wrong in our family and I won't ever have to look at myself. You'll be the identified patient. You'll be the one who's, who's um, got the problems. So, um, in that process, then, uh, if I could, if that could happen, 
if we could actually verbally say to our children, here's what I'm really up to, <laughs> then our children could actually look back at us and go, you know what, I don't, I don't want to be your wrongness for you. That's, uh-uh, no, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, but since we don't say it, and since it's just sort of intuited, it sort of floats around in the room like invisible flotsam and jetsam, and we can just suck that stuff in because we have this empty sponge and and become it. Okay, so... So that, ha- that is an example of how identity forms. Most of us don't live in that extreme of an environment, but, but uh, identities form around the social uh, uh, agendas of our worlds. Um, if mom and dad are, are very um, socially uh, connected, then they're going to want us to look, walk, talk, act, quack in ways that maintain that social, um, those social connections. And they don't want to be criticized size for our behavior. Uh, I remember when I was a little girl, and that was a long, long time ago, but I remember as a little girl, I remember uh, that my mother would say, you know, how you look is a reflection of me. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one on the planet who's heard that. I'm sure that many other children heard that same thing. And if, they, if it wasn't said, it's actually passed on non-verbally. There are some people who um, will say, and it depends on who you are, which study you've, you looked at, Anywhere between 50 and 90% of our communication is nonverbal. Now, you put that in a small child who's already nonverbal, and I would say it's right down to 100%. So a lot of what children get is nonverbal. So you could look at that and go, well, what's a mother to do? What's a father to do? I mean, we can't control our nonverbal communications. What are we doing? Well, what we can do is clear up our inner world so that, that we can communicate non-verbally in ways that are authentic. Um, what we can do is to grow ourselves into authenticity so that we communicate authentically with our children. Most of us have, uh, communication is, is, is big, it's huge. Most of us have a style of communication that uh, we think works for us in whatever way. And, and, and if it keeps us hidden, that's great. If it keeps us out there getting all the attention, that's great. If it keeps us um, from being depressed, it, that's great. If it keeps us feeling like we don't really ever have to confront anybody, that's great. You know, it has a purpose in our own mental um, sort of uh, st- strategy for how we're going to cope with the world. And if that uh, strategy works for us, if it keeps me from having to face confrontation, then I'm going to keep doing it. If if it keeps me in the limelight, then I'm going to keep doing it. If it if it keeps me um, um, being able to not sort of hide away so nobody knows what I'm thinking or feeling, then I'm going to keep doing it. If that's my strategy for coping with life, then I'm going to do whatever it is that that strategy dictates because it makes me feel safe. And safety is the primal concern of all of our lives. We're all looking for secure, safe ways to live life, um, and and we've got these illusions about how what creates safety. The real truth about safety is there is no place to go where there is no risk. There is absolutely no place on planet Earth where there is no risk. And if we if we understand that, then we know that if I stick my head in a hole and never come out and hide from the world, well, there's risks there too. Because I'm missing out on all that stuff I could be enjoying and 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 maybe benefiting from because I'm stuck in that little hole. You would think that little hole would be safe. I mean, it's barred up. I've got plenty of food in here and everything's fine, right? 
Not so much. There's risk there. I'm missing out on lots of stuff I don't even know about. But if I don't know about it and it was working for me, then why should I change it? So w- one of the things we really need to understand before we can understand how, how to raise an authentic child is that all of us are doing the thing we think works for us to keep us safe and survive and alive. And we're not going to stop doing it until something convinces us that doing it uh, uh, is at more unsafe than not doing it. <laughs> uh, and that's usually when we hit some kind of crisis. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be true that that's the case, that we have to hit a crisis before we can wake up. Um, we can actually mirror our children's authenticity. And so I'm going to give you some examples of how that works. But but I really need to lay the foundation here. If I am not an authentic person, and I don't mean some kind of perfect, you know, uh, star of a person. I mean that if I am not in myself working toward authenticity, working in my own authenticity as best that I can, then that's going to reveal it's going to show, and it's probably going to show up on my child's face, in my child's life. Uh, so to, to the degree that I am not living authentically, my child may or may not be taking on my own stuff to carry around with them in some kind of way. Um, and that, that process of closeness that happens between a mother and a child, a father and a child, two parents and a child, or one parent and a child, or the primary caregiver and his child, if it's not a biological uh, parent, then it, it is, is the primal place. Now, a child comes here with an authentic self already intact. So the authentic self is already there, but they will put that away in favor of an identity if they feel that that identity, if that authentic self isn't safe or is threatened in some way by their environment. So if I'm a child who's highly artistic and I'm drawing everywhere, including walls and, you know, bathroom tile and everywhere else, and I'm doing it with uh, permanent ink, I'm probably going to get in some trouble. And um, I might receive that as I can't, I'm not, I'm not allowed to be the artist I am. So now, in order for me to not perceive it that way, the approach to me it's going to have to be fairly gentle. And I don't mean that we can't say don't draw on the walls. You know, I'm not saying don't ever, don't ever tell your children not to draw on walls. But I am saying that we don't need to go at them screaming and hollering and going, what are you doing? How can you do that? Look at this mess you've made. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, if we can avoid doing that, it would probably be better because that reaction is, has a mighty, it's like a big tornado rolling over that child's psyche. And uh, there's a lot of turmoil going in there, and they're gonna they're gonna land in some safe place. And if safe means, oh, I'll give my up my art in order to have my mom and my dad like me, they'll do it. Okay. So uh, a big piece of what we're talking about is our approach. And if I am fairly aware of my own emotions and my own triggers and my own buttons, then I'm less likely to overreact to what my child does. So really tuning in to myself is the best thing I can do for my children. The more authentic I am, the better I'm going to raise my children to be authentic people. So, okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about, um, over the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about some specific 
uh, processes that we can go through with our children. And notice that I did not use the word techniques because we are not going to be talking about techniques. Techniques are, are largely stratagems that come from an idea that we should be able to control other people, and I'm, I'm not about that. So, um, uh, so we're going to talk about some processes that we can go through with our children that will enable greater authenticity for both them and us. Uh, but before we go there, I want to say, before we take the break, I want to say that um, we can learn how, when we talk about there's an identity that's versus authenticity, we are here to merge those two. The identity doesn't need to go, and, and you'll hear people and great spiritual leaders talking about how the ego needs to go. Um, the ego does not need to go. The ego is a liaison between the inner and outer world without which we will not be able to distinguish between the two. The, the ego is a liaison between the conscious and the unconscious world without which we will not be able to distinguish between the two. Ego is very important, and we need it. So when you hear uh, uh, someone saying, we need to get rid of that ego, what they're doing is offering us yet another split in our psyche other than the, all the other ones we've already got. So um, I don't agree with that, and um, I hope that over time we will begin to see that that kind of thinking is not correct, and not incorrect is the wrong word, but it, it's not going to help us to become more authentic. Um, so we're not going to get rid of the identity. What we want is for the identity to be the same as the authentic self. I identify with my authentic self instead of identifying with some unresolved stuff you've got so that I can fix you or so I can be close to you or so I can take on your stuff or so I can just stay connected to the family trance. Um, and, and, and so it's really important to understand that we're not going to be talking about getting rid of anything when we talk about authenticity. We're going to talk about integrating we're going to talk about pulling all the variant sides together into one room so they can begin to dialogue with each other and, and, and be able to receive and accept uh, each other and generate a kind of camaraderie between them so that there's no judgment between the self that, that uh, wants more money and the self that thinks having more money is selfish. There's no judgment there. There's just an understanding of where both of those came from and a merging of those two ideas into a third option for an idea. Um, so that's I really want to be clear that we won't be talking today when we talk about raising an authentic child. We're not talking about raising a child with no identity. We're not talking about raising a child with no no ego. We're talking about raising a child who ha- who can allow all the variant pieces of him or herself to be present um, and uh, and bring forth whatever that is into the room so that they can be their be their fullest self. Okay, so that's it for right now. We're going to take a little break, and we'll come back in just a minute with some more about how it is. I'm going to be very specific about how it is that we can begin to develop a process of authenticity with our children. Stay tuned for that. Be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. 
It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And I'm very grateful to the American Institute of Holistic Theology for sponsoring the Authentic Living Show for a long time now. And AIHT wants you to know about its new 2014 curriculum. AIHT is now offering you a greater variety of programs and more in-depth studies of the courses of studies you choose. You already know you can get a master's, a doctorate, or a ministerial bachelor's degree at AIHT, but now at the doctoral level, AIHT offers not only the Ph.D. in all of the programs, but it offers a doctor of ministry degree in all of its programs as well. And in the holistic theology program, you can get a doctor of theology degree. But that's not all. The programs themselves have changed. Now you can get a degree in holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, and now metaphysics and parapsychology. And that's still not all. Now, we've added more depth to your education by offering a greater number of courses that start at the introductory level and move all the way to the advanced level. For example, in the Holistic Theology program, you can take Judaism 1, 2, and 3, with each level offering a greater depth of understanding. Or in our parapsychology program, you can take Psychic Skills 1, 2, and 3. Those are just a few examples. You can get the whole picture by going to www.aiht.edu. Or, if you'd like to talk directly to our admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality. Utilizing as your text writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path as well as to become credentialed to bring their own unique gift to the world. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. You want to know more? 
Go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, that's 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today on the Authentic Living Show about how to raise an authentic child. And what we've said thus far is that the first and most important thing is for us to be authentic. It's going to be very difficult for us to communicate non-verbally to our children uh, about authenticity if we're not authentic people. And again, by authenticity, I don't mean some kind of perfect uh, identity whereby we, we can say, I now have no more issues. What it does mean is that we're very authentic about those issues and that we can be honest with ourselves and when, when it is necessary, honest with our spouses, our partners, and our uh, children um, about our, our stuff, our issues as well. So it's going to be really important to understand that piece is sort of foundational. But the next thing to understand is that every opportunity of interaction with our child is an opportunity to reflect back to them who they are or who they were when they got here, their authentic personality that they came here with. And um, if we can do that early enough, then our children don't give up their, their authenticity in the name of an identity uh, way early. So if they're going to be absorbing what's going on in the environment, what they can absorb is the look on our face when we sit and wonder at who they are, actually. Um, there's lots of beautiful... Um, Amazing things that happen in our interactions with our uh, infant children, um, including uh, the, the interaction between a mother and a child when breastfeeding, the interaction between a mother and a child when changing the child's diapers, the interaction between a mother and a child or a father and a child when the child's being fed, um, the interaction between um, uh, parents and ch- child when the child is playing. All of those are opportunities to reflect back to the child his or her own authenticity. And um, so we can do that through expressions on our faces, we, and we do do that with expressions on our faces. We do that with uh, the tones of our voice. We do that with uh, um, how, how well we respond when they need us. So if a child is left in the bed to cry for a long period of time before being fed, that child will learn not to trust that that the person's going to come when they need them. Um, years ago, uh, the the idea of letting a child cry it out was the was a prominent way of raising children, and uh, over the past five ten years, that has changed. So that occasionally, for some children in some diff, uh, some cer- certain situations, the child might need to cry it out for a little bit, but. Um, that's not a standard operating procedure. You put the child in the bed and let it cry itself to sleep. Uh, that's not standard operating procedure anymore. And I'm glad because that reflects back to the child that the child is sort of on its own. And not only is it on its own, which it largely is to some degree, but not only is it on its own, but it, it the child cannot really trust. So trust is going to be very, very, very important. Um, to laying sort of a foundation where the child will look into your face and see that they don't have to be any different than what they are to be in your graces. And you're not going to stop loving them if they stop being who, if, if they are who they are. 
So those, uh, the way we look at our child, the way we, the tones of our voice, all of that's going to make a big difference in the very earliest stages of our of our uh, interactions with the child, and also how quickly and appropriately we respond to their needs. Some of that is guesswork, but here's the thing: if we are in a listening posture with our children, then we know when it's when they're done eating. For example, this is one that I see a lot, and one that I had to figure out myself as I was sort of processing through my own way through raising my children, which um, I have two adult children now, and uh, to be able to listen through to the body language of a child. So that you're feeding the child. And and they're eating and they're eating and they're eating and then all of a sudden they start sticking their tongue out and pushing the spoon away. Well, that's a sign that they're done. But so many parents are like, no, 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 you have to eat some more. And and they keep trying to push the spoon into the child's mouth. And that's, that's one of those real um, easy-to-see ways that we reflect back to the child. You don't know about your body. I know about your body. And so all we have to do is when the child start sticking their tongue out and pushing the spoon away with their mouth or turning their face away is to stop feeding them. Oh, you're done now. Okay, I see. So the child gets that feedback that, oh, I have say-so about my body. I know what's going on in my body. Okay? So that's a, that's one of those real primary ways of doing that. Um, when we are... The, the thing I've seen so many times when, when a child's being fed, the, the parent will keep sticking that spoon in their mouth when they're sticking their tongue in it or, or, or out and sort of pushing the spoon away with their tongue. They uh, will turn their head away and then turn their head away the other side and then the, the parent keeps trying to trick them. Oh, here comes the train, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, and finally, if the child is not heard, some children will just take the mouthful of stuff they've just gotten stuffed into their mouths and spew it all over the parent all right what that child is saying is i don't want this in my mouth stop sticking that spoon in my mouth but we think that because we're the boss we're the parent that child should not be dictating what we have to teach them about eating i mean we know about eating we've been eating for many years right (laughs) Well, that's kind of how we, we view this role as a parent. But if we view the child as someone who understands their own needs better than we do, if we view that child as a person who already knows who he or she is, then we begin to listen to that child. And so uh, I had to learn to listen to my children. So, And did I do that perfectly? Absolutely not. Did I always, was I always present? Absolutely not. Did I make some mistakes? Absolutely I did. Um, but I was in a process as I was raising my children of trying to hear them. Um, so um, that's the process of, of being with our children is listening to what they're trying to tell us instead of always being the teacher, uh, always being the one who knows, I know what's best for you, you're just a child, what do you know? That, that mentality does not help us raise uh, an authentic child. So, okay, so let's say the child gets a little bit older now, and they're two or three, and they draw us a scratchy little picture uh, with crayons, and they bring us the picture, and and we say, oh, that's such a beautiful picture. Look at that. That's just so pretty, Johnny. And we hand the picture back to Johnny, and Johnny goes off and plays, and he's gotten his little praise from Mom, and that's all he we think he needed right and we think that by telling johnny that he's done this really really beautiful picture that we're boosting his self-esteem 
But what Johnny actually got from us was a lot of nothing. What Johnny got was, you weren't listening to me. You don't even know what this picture's about. And I know you're faking it because you don't think this picture's pretty. You know? So on the surface, they may look like they've been fooled. But down deep, where it really counts, they know. And so uh, what we could say to the child is, wow, I saw you putting all that work into that picture. And look, I see blue here and green over here and red over here. Tell me about your picture. Now the child has an opportunity to tell us what that picture is all about. Well, that's a picture of, of me on my bicycle. Well, to me, as a parent, it looks like a bunch of straight lines all scribbled up together. I would never have picked out me on my bicycle, but that child knows that's me on my bicycle. I remember one of the most delightful experiences that I had with my daughter when she was growing up as I went in her room and sat down on the floor to just sort of be with her while she was painting a picture. And she took her Barbie doll and took the feet off the Barbie, the shoes off the Barbie doll, dipped the Barbie doll's feet in brown watercolor, and then walked the Barbie doll across the paper. And then she looks up at me and very proudly says, that's an invisible cowboy, Mom. So that's an example of, the, of a child who's saying, I know what I'm doing here. Now, I could have said, what are you doing sticking that Barbie doll's feet in the, water? Stop, uh, in the uh, watercolor? Stop that. She's a doll. She's not a paintbrush. What are you doing? I could have done that, uh, you know, and, and in some scenarios, I might have done that, but in this time, I was just being delighted with her. So, so had, I done, had I interfered with her view of what she was doing, what I would have been doing was reflecting back to her in authenticity. Be what I need you to be. Stop being who you are. Um, so that's just an example and I'm using myself because I have myself as an example I'm not using myself because I did everything right I didn't um, so I want to be really clear about that but but uh, so that that thing of being able to listen to the child appears again tell me about your picture gives the child an opportunity to define the picture for themselves and then you can say do you like that work do you like your work and the child can go, yeah, 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 I like my work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they've affirmed themselves. Now you, we've said it out loud. Uh, noticing that they worked hard on it, noticing the colors, says, I'm watching you be you. It does not say, let me define your work for you. And, and that's the piece that we, we misunderstand. We think that when a child brings us a piece of paper, we're supposed to define it for them. So we're not reflecting their authenticity. We're, we're being the parent that has all the definitions of life. Uh, one of the things I enjoy so much about a particular author, his name is Adyashanti. Um, he was recently on the Oprah show. And one of the things he said on there uh, that was very true and powerful and very enjoyable for me was, just because we call something a, a name doesn't mean it is that. Just because I look at a tree and call it a tree, that doesn't mean I understand the tree. It's interesting, isn't it? But we think that since we uh, uh, we have called it a tree, I, oh, I see, Johnny, you've painted a tree here. Well, Johnny's going, that's not a tree, that's a car. You know, well, it doesn't look like either one of them to me because I'm the mother and I'm seeing a bunch of squiggly lines. But to Johnny, Johnny knows what that is. Or maybe Johnny doesn't know what that is, but that's okay too. Allowing him to say, "Well, uh, I don't know what that is." Okay, okay. 
It sure has got lots of really pretty colors in it. I like these colors. Do you like these colors? Now you're now you're having a conversation that's got potential for authenticity in it. So um, that's one another thing we can do. When a child has a particular uh, interest, to respect that. Uh, one of the funny stories, again, about uh, me raising my children was I, I remember taking my son to T-ball. He was going to uh, be on the T-ball team. Well, instead of joining in with the team, and, and, uh, and the coach was uh, not my favorite coach either. He was being pretty brutal in his criticisms to the kids, so I didn't appreciate that much. But that wasn't the main thing that happened that day. What happened mostly was that my son picked up a stick and went walking around the, the field poking the stick in ant beds and being really amazed when the ants crawled up the stick. And that was what he wanted to be doing. He didn't want to be playing t-ball. So when we called him in off the field, of course the coach uh, called him in first, but then I called him in off the field and I said, do you want to play t-ball with these other boys? He said, no, Mom, I was playing with the ant beds. (laughs) Like he doesn't want to do that. So why am I going to force him to do that? Well, I would force him to do that if I believed that playing t-ball was socially correct. I would force him to do that if I played t-ball and I was really good at it. I might force him to do that if I thought that he needed to have, uh, be involved in some kind of sports. You know, and I thought that was a good thing for him and I, and I knew what's best for him. I might force him to do that. And in the process, I'm telling him to give up his authenticity for my agenda. Um, so again, listening to our children and their, uh, what their interests are. What kinds of things are they interested in? I got my daughter piano lessons because uh, she asked for a piano and she asked for lessons. So we got it for her. Within a year, she was not interested anymore. And I could have pushed and pushed and pushed and had that power struggle going and said, you know, you have got to learn this. We, we, I went out and bought this piano for you. And it was a real cheap piano. <laughs> but but uh, I went out and bought this piano for you, so you need to take these lessons. And, but I decided that she knew her interests better than I did. Uh, the truth was, I wanted piano lessons, and you know she was going to get them for free. So, uh, so you know, if I pushed that, if I had pushed my agenda on her, I want piano lessons. So, by golly, you're going to take piano lessons. Then, then I would have been telling her to give up her authenticity. And uh, again, I'm saying, I'm not saying I always supported their authenticity, but I am saying that these are some of the ways that we we can we have an option a clear conscious option about what we can do to support our children's authenticity um, uh, there are ways in which our school systems are ignoring our children's authenticity and i'm going to spend some time talking about that in the next segment um, but uh, when it comes to us as parents anytime a child comes to us and says i want to learn how to do or I, you know or I'd like to, or, you know, we just see them doing it, then, uh, and we see their passion and how involved and excited they are about it, we can promote that. We can say, would you like to do that some more in whatever way we say that? We can, you know, get out the equipment that they need to do that and support their work in that effort. And if later they decide they're not interested in that anymore, is that going to be okay with us? That's the big question. Are we going to allow our children to decide what their real interests are or not? And uh, so how much money we stick behind something when they're six, we are choosing to say, oh, they're going to love this for the rest of their lives. But they might not. They might only love it for a couple of months. And then they're done. They've applied that experiment out. It didn't work so well or it did, and they're done. 
So that's some of the stuff that allow, that allowance, that listening, that supports our children's authenticity. And we're going to take another break now. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more about how to raise an authentic child. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Much can be learned from the new children who embody a higher vibration and consciousness. However, the world we live in has not always been understanding of the gifts, differences, and awarenesses that they contribute. Listen for Journey with the New Children, Teens, and Adults, presented by Saturn Three Light Flyers. Each week, hosts Michael and Janice Bordway, along with their son and frequent guest host Tristan Bordway, share the discoveries of parenting and being one of the new children. It's an amazing journey. Join us Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back, but before we go any further, I want to tell you about this upcoming Sunday's uh, Super Soul Sunday with, on May 25th at 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Sean Aker with The Secret of Happy People is going to be on. Oprah sits down with Sean, a Harvard-trained researcher and the New York Times bestselling author of Before Happiness, to discuss The Secret of Happy People. As a highly sought-after speaker in the area of positive psychology and happiness, Sean shares what he believes are actionable steps to help diminish depression, increase joy, and shift our lens to positive. Listen to this clip. This Sunday, he helped teach the most popular course at Harvard, the happiness class. He's a happiness expert and best-selling author, Sean Acor. Being successful doesn't automatically make you happier. Why he says you can rewire your brain for more happiness. They're actually the building blocks of how human beings can change. That's the revolution. I can be happier today. Part one of our two-week conversation that's gonna make you happier. Super Soul Sunday. All new this Sunday, 11 a.m., 10 central. Only here. Don't miss it. And right after that, Oprah is going to be talking to Eckhart Tolle uh, uh, for the last session on the A New Earth series. 
And this final episode of the series, they're going to talk about how to bring your newfound consciousness into your everyday life. So it's the applicable chapter. Don't miss that one. And today we're talking about how you can raise an authentic child. And what we've said thus far is that uh, the most important thing that we can do for our children is to be authentic ourselves. And uh, then we talked about some of the things we can do that reflect back to our children their authenticity, to pay attention, to be in the listening posture at all times, to pay attention to who they are, because they're telling us, they're always telling us who they are if we will but listen. And we're not listening. A lot of times, in particular, our schools are not listening. So this is going to be a little bit of a, uh, a soapbox here. But I want to be clear, this is so very important because our children are dying in our schools. Our children are, are taking drugs. They are killing themselves and each other. They are um, bullying each other. They are doing a lot of things that have to do with death, that have to do with doing anything but authenticity. And part of that is that our school systems are systematically training our children not to be authentic. Our school systems are saying, sit down, shut up, and listen to me, um, for the most part. Now, there are exceptions to this rule, and um, I have seen schools where that's not happening. And I do think there are, is some effort to change the way we teach, to offer all kinds of different ways of teaching different kinds of children. But for the most part, eight hours a day, it is sit down, shut up, and listen to me. There's very little time for listening to the child or the children. And, um, you know, there, is, there are ways to bring group effort to individuality, individuality to group effort that um, may be done sometimes in the earliest grades, kindergarten, whereby children in a group are allowed to speak up and say who they are and are heard, but it quickly dissipates um, because as they get older and they start having homework and they start actually learning um, their ABCs and mathematics and those kinds of things, what begins to happen is the, the teacher begins to take on the role of, I know you better than you know you. I know what you need better than you know what you need. I'm the teacher. You're just the child. You don't know anything about you or your life or what you need to do with your life. And that thinking denies authenticity. So I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that we should not have discipline for our children. Um, when we're parenting our children, discipline is very, very important. It does, uh, it, but it is, discipline is teaching a child. It is not um, punishing a child. Punishment says, uh, you're bad and I'm bigger than you. So that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> that's basically what punishment says. But discipline says, look, here's the thing. When you go on the playground and, and um, you hit somebody else on the playground, then what, what's going to happen is sometimes children aren't going to want to hang out with you. And so if you want to uh, be in, in the room with a lot of other kids, you might not want to walk up and hit Johnny in the back of the head. Uh, so, you know, working with children around what it is that, what was going on when you hit Johnny? Tell me about that. What was, what was happening? Well, I was mad at Sally because Sally, well, why didn't you take that up with Sally? You know, that, that's the kind of stuff we can do. That's discipline. But punishment is not discipline. 
it says two things. It says, you're bad, and it says, I'm bigger than you, and that's it. And so when you transfer that to our school systems, what happens so often is that our children are being punished uh, for their authenticity. I remember a scenario where that I heard about where a child was sent into the bathroom and told to stay in the bathroom because he'd been raising his hand too many times in the classroom. And the, uh, and the, the teacher was just tired of him raising his hand every time she asked a question. Now that is definitely saying, your enthusiasm bothers me, stop it. And that everywhere where uniqueness is told not to be unique, um, that's a place where we're raising inauthenticity. And in our school systems, by and large, everybody's supposed to look the same. They're supposed to have the same kind of intellect. They're supposed to have uh, the same kind of thinking process. They're supposed to have the same interests. They're supposed to look, talk, walk, act the same as every other student. And what we want them to do is look, talk, walk, act like the best students. And very often, some of the best students are very troubled people who are being the best students as a way of coping with some extremely difficult issues, not the least of which is the perfectionism of their parents. So uh, this idea that, uh, now, little Johnny, you need to stop sticking out. You know, you don't, don't be sticking out for your uniqueness. Don't be different. Um, that is a, that's a way of saying, don't be real. Don't be who you are. So children are picking that up all along the way. And the more we tell them, don't be who you are, the angrier they're going to get. And what are they going to do with that anger? It's going to go somewhere. Um, when, uh, and particularly children that are... Uh, bullied and or made fun of or uh, ostracized or marginalized by the the other students in the classroom, those children are going to be really, really angry children. And I believe there was some of that that was going on in a couple of these uh, high school shootings that went on. So in, in that might not be the total picture, but some of that was going on. So children are learning from their environments who the world needs them to be. And if the world needs them to shut up and be quiet and don't be who you are and stop being so different and stop being a nerd and stop being dressing like that and don't look that way, don't make that face on your face, get that off your face. You, those kind of things are teaching children to stop being who they are. And our schools are systematically doing that. Not only are the teachers doing that, but the students are doing it to each other. So that's a place where we need to bring in a great great, great deal of change. As a matter of fact, if I were God, I'd junk the whole system and start all over again because that's how bad it is. Uh, And our kids are going to keep telling us how bad it is. They're going to keep telling us that that they can't tolerate it. And they're going to do it in worse and worse ways. More children are going to die before we wake up to the fact that we're doing it all wrong in our school systems. More children are going to die because of that, because we're not listening to them. And what we're afraid of is that if we listen to our children, that they'll dominate us. We're so afraid that they're going to take over. But that's not what they want. They're not, an authentic child is not asking to take over. They want to be taken care of. They want to be protected. They want to be taught. They want to learn. They want to understand life. But, uh, so they're not going to try to take over. What they're, what they're going to do is, is tell us who they are. And then we get to say, oh, wow, that's who you are? Okay, well, let's, let's foster that. 
Let's bring that out. And who knows what kind of world we could create from that. But that's not what we're doing so many times. And sometimes at home now, more children are getting authentic um, interactions with their parents at home, but then they go to school and a whole different world exists there where they're being told, don't be who you are. You know, so at home they're being told, be who you are. And at school they're being told, don't be who you are. This It's way too risky. Um, so uh, children that are different, and all children are different, all children are different in some kind of way, uh, Are and the ones that are more outstandingly different and can't hide it are going to get the brunt of this. And those are going to be the ones that are the most angry. And then we're going to wonder years later how they, how they became so angry and why did they turn out the way they did. Well, we created it. We helped create it anyway. We, we, we pushed them into a place where they were not allowed to be themselves and we were the ones who were allowed to dictate who they should be. The authentic self is real. It has a genuine, powerful, potent energy and it will not be squelched forever. It will do something with that energy. It might make us sick physically. It might make us sick mentally. It might make us have high blood pressure and all kinds of physical problems. It might, it might make us really angry or what we call emotionally disturbed. Um, it might make us really sorrowful. It might make us really lonely. It might make us really desperate. Those are the things that happen when we shut out the authentic self. So... Uh, supporting authenticity in our schools and in our homes is the best thing we could do for our country. It's the best thing we could do for our world. So this thing of raising children, it's huge. It's huge. And, 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 and I don't want to say that we can't make mistakes because we absolutely can. And we can go to our children and say, you know what? I screwed up. Here's what I did, and I'm taking responsibility for that. That's all on me. It's not on you. It's me. I have I had that problem, and I'm taking responsibility for it, and here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to fix it by X, Y, and Z. And what we do when we model that behavior for our children is we teach them how to do the same thing. We teach them how to own their own stuff and say, this is mine. I'm responsible for it, and I don't have to carry around loads of guilt, and I don't have to beat myself up for it, but I can own it and say, okay, I can, I can fix this. I, let me see what I can do to make this better. And that is a huge lesson to teach our children. Children who can't ever let themselves be wrong can't ever grow. Um, and, and we all know that we learn from our mistakes or we don't learn from our mistakes until they whack us so hard that we can't do anything but learn from them. Uh, but if we, don't, if we don't allow our children room for mistakes, then, then we're not, they won't learn either. So what does it mean to apply, allow them room for for mistakes, it means that um, A, in our minds, they don't have to be perfect. B, in our minds, we've stopped the fantasy of the perfect child that means I was a perfect parent. That's, a, that's huge. Um, we, we all have that fantasy that if I have the perfect child, that makes me a perfect parent. Um, first of all, there is no perfect anywhere. Second, uh, our child, children don't. They don't define us. We define ourselves. And it should be the vice versa, that they define themselves. So um, that whole that fantasy's got to go. And, 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 and allowing ourselves room to, to, to be in the room with a child and allow them to explore their own choices. Now, I don't mean that the choices are so wide that they're impossible to choose between 20,000 choices. But I mean, when a child is two... You can begin to say, do you want to wear these shoes or these shoes? 
would you like to eat this or this? Give them a couple of options to choose from. What you're doing is teaching them how to choose. And choice is huge in their lives. So when you when we can teach them how to choose, then we're teaching them something that they can use consciously for the rest of their lives. But when we say, I'm choosing everything for you, we're not teaching them anything uh, except to forego who they are and don't pay attention to anything inside them that wants a choice. So this thing about authenticity and raising our children is a big, big deal. It has impact on everything in our world. And uh, if we can begin the process of becoming authentic and then begin the process of listening to our children in their realness as they express who they are to us over and over again, then we will be able to begin the process of raising authentic children. And I wish you the best of luck with that um, because it can be a very beautiful process. And next week we're going to be back. Yana Van Zant is coming back to the show again next week for a, a, um, a return of the visit she had earlier. And Remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week. Thank you.